Hi, welcome to the show, Take It From Tony. And I am Tony. Today's guest is Arthur. Arthur um, is an author. He has a PhD. And he is amazing. He has written many books. And he talks about stress and handling stress. And I really, really enjoyed our show. And I hope you do too. Tell the audience, I mean, you've written many books. And going back a bit in your life, your childhood, what brought you to become um, a clinical psychologist, doing all the things that you've done, all the lectures you've done? I mean, you've been on CNN, uh, Good Morning America, and many shows. So how did all this? I think I grew up with parents, Tony, who were always taking people in. Okay. I used to say to my father and mother, do we have to have another person here in the morning? Uh, so, you know, my, my dad and mom had a small furniture store in a mm -hmm. town in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. blue-collar town. He would always take in immigrants from different countries. He was always counseling someone. My mother was, too. My mother was a great listener. You know, in the book, I'd tell stories about her. Yeah. And my dad was a very encouraging, high-spirited person, so people were always coming to him. Mm -hmm. My mother would complain when they were, my father was in the store that he'd be in the back of the store uh, talking to teenagers about what they would go to college and what they could do and are they following up on their grades. And he there'd be like people he should be waiting on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like a mentor. Yeah, he was a mentor. Yeah. So as you were growing up, this is what you grew up with. I grew up with it for sure, in, yeah. in a sort of giving household. My mother was very giving. My father was a, a, a motivator. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to think that I have the heart of my mother and the uh, drive of my dad. I think you do. I, yeah. You know, we have just gotten to know each other over the past couple years. Yes. And your wife, I mean, she is lovely. Mm -hmm. she, yes, she just, is. <laughs> you two adore each other. <laughs> and it's so wonderful to see, and your humor is the greatest. Yes. So as you were coming along, when in your life did you decide this is your chosen work, this is your line of work? Well, I was a history major initially in college, mm -hmm. and then uh, I was playing football, and a fellow named Angelo from the Bronx and myself from Massachusetts, we were going to school in Connecticut, and we both had these accents. I'd have to stand up, and the speech uh, teacher would say, say, you know, you have a beer in Harvard Yard, Arthur, and of course, he would speak with his Bronx, Bronx accent, and we had to go to a speech clinic, and we were both playing football. And I said to Angela, we're missing practice every day. What are we going to do? And he said, well, we've got to change our major to something in liberal arts. And uh, I went to the registrar, and I asked him what these different things were. And, and I said, what's psychology? And he said, well, that's the study of human beings, you know, helping human beings. I said, well, I guess that's it. So it was easy from that point on. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I, you know, I was not very academically oriented, but at that point I became more and more interested because it was what we naturally do, meaning family. Yeah. So it was, it was a natural connection for me. Wow. It's kind of funny how you have a flow within your family where you end up. I mean, you asked the question about psychology, mm -hmm. and you didn't know that's what your father was doing. Actually, no, I was not aware of that, but yeah. uh, it just seemed to make sense. It's a yeah. study of human beings, helping human beings overcome difficulties. I said, well, you know, I've watched that all my life, so that shouldn't be too difficult, or at least it would be interesting. Wow, that, and, that is. Now, now, you basically concentrate on many things, but talk to me about stress. I mean, what? Well, the stress rates have risen so high in the United States mm -hmm. recently. 
I mean, three quarters of Americans say that they suffer from stress, either emotionally or physically, every day. 50% of Americans say they wake up every night due to stress. And 75% of visits to primary care physicians just in the last two years was due to stress. So we know the stress rates have risen significantly, even close to 50% in the last year. So I decided to write a book about stress because so many of my clients come to me and they're not mentally <coughs> ill, they're not on medication, they don't have a mental diagnosis, but they're very stressed and they don't know how to calm themselves and they're wondering what's wrong, what's missing. Sure. You know. Now, I mean, what, I mean, do you think, and I'm going to play a little bit devil's advocate here. Okay. <clears throat> do you think some of that comes from their growing up? Do you think that the mother was worried about everything and that just kind of carried over? What's your thoughts on that? I think it does have to do with early conditioning. I think we're in a culture right now that is highly stressed. If you listen to the news this morning, you know why you might be stressed. But yeah. the way we learn to perceive, and this is the thing that I think has been missing in most of what's been written and talked about regarding stress, is the way we perceive has a lot to do with how stressed we feel. Meaning that we learn to perceive early in life with some biases. You know, everybody goes up with some biases. Mm -hmm. So cognitive behavioral therapy is what I talk about in the book, talks about distorted thinking. So if I look at you and, and I look at you and I say, oh my God, she looks like my ex-wife, automatically I start to feel some tension. Or if I, I look at your last name and I say you're French, Italian, English, whatever it is, yeah. and my family had some prejudice against the English or the Japanese or the Chinese, I start to feel some stress. So these distorted ways of thinking mm -hmm. cause stress. So the way we perceive, the more accurately we perceive, the more we can see the truth. And here's where empathy comes in, because I obviously talk yeah, about empathy a lot exactly. in the book. It, empathy is allowing you to see be beyond the cover of the book, mm -hmm. into the heart and soul of another human being to see who they really are, not just what they look like or how their resume reads or where they went to school or the size of their home. It, it, we, it allows us to see the character of another person, the soul of another person. And therefore, it tells us who to get close to and who to remain distant from. True. You know, True. empathy is everyday mind reading. So it, it gives us a, a way of assessing other people. Isn't that, though, I mean, people, I feel, are not aware that they're doing what they're doing, assuming yes. Yes. Um, whether it's a name, like you said, or a look. Um, how, I mean, wouldn't they have to learn the tools to accomplish what you're talking about? Yes, I mean, that's why the book is very much a workbook. At okay. the end of each chapter, I ask questions and I ask you to share the answers with someone close to you all because right. we're all too subjective about learning about our own biases and perception. Mm -hmm. We have to share it with other people so that we gain feedback. Yeah. The most interesting thing is when we have prejudices and biases, we produce cortisol, the stress hormone, mm -hmm. which has many, many negative consequences. It causes inflammation, hair loss, it causes memory loss, anxiety, depression. It also it throws off the blood sugar levels in the body so that we crave sugary substances. And it makes us more addictive to eating sugary substances, so it's very related to weight gain. The opposite of that is empathy, what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. When we give and receive empathy, when we're truly trying to understand each other, 
we produce the near miracle neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is what women produce when they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Why is it a near miracle neurotransmitter? It increases generosity. It allows us to live longer. It, it improves empathy. It makes us feel secure and trusting. It makes us open for love. It, it en enhances our immune system. It produces a brain change that makes us feel more secure and confident in life. So one way of relating causes this very good feeling and this important brain change. The other way of relating, which is, your point is very important, Tony, that it's often unconscious. Our biases are often unconscious, but it makes us feel tense. So if I read your last name or I found out where you were mm -hmm. from and I have some association, I'm sitting here, but I'm not comfortable. Right. Now I'm producing cortisol. What does cortisol do? It takes our empathic range, our ability to see you know, a full length mirror, mm -hmm. a camera, and it reduces it so that we have black and white thinking. Now all the time I'm thinking, you don't like me, mm -hmm. you look like somebody I knew, you come from somewhere I don't like, and I'm, I'm going over these negative thoughts in my own mind, my own self-talk, mm -hmm that make me feel uncomfortable and that I'm really not listening to you. It's very true. It's very true because I was just having a conversation with someone a while ago and we were talking about why we're uncomfortable with certain people. Why when we look at them across the room, it's like, okay, we don't like them. Yes. <clears throat> and I mean, it can go back to maybe in school, in high school when there was a, a guy or a girl and we didn't get along then, and it's that hair color, it's that look, sure. it's that mannerisms. Yes. And you automatically react the way you did then. Yes. And then you produce that stress hormone. Yes. And then you have all that negative thinking. That mm -hmm. wide lens camera becomes a very narrow view, and it produces obsessive black and white thinking mm -hmm. so that I can't really see who you are. If you slow down with empathy and you say, you know what, we just met. Mm -hmm. Maybe you do come from a town where I had a bad experience or, or you're Japanese or Chinese or whatever it is and mm -hmm. I had a bad experience with that ethnic group. But maybe you're different than that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could see you as a unique human being. That's what empathy is about. It's the understanding the uniqueness of another person. That every human being ever created is unique, is different. You have to look for the differences mm -hmm. beyond the surface. You wouldn't, you wouldn't choose a good novel just by looking at the cover of no. the book, a beautiful picture of the ocean, right? Yeah. You might want to read a few reviews before you buy yeah. that book. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But do you feel everybody has in their heart um, the patience, the understanding, to understand what you're saying, the empathy of, I mean, does everyone have that in them? They just haven't tapped into it? Yes, we know that we have mirror neurons. Baby ha babies have mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. their, mom their mother smiles and they smile. We mm -hmm. tune into each other. So we have that capacity, but it's like a muscle. If we don't use the muscle, it atrophies. Mm -hmm. If we use the muscle, it grows. In my group therapy session, so many times I, I particularly add men and people say, oh, he doesn't have the empathy gene. But after six months or so, yeah. learning how to slow down, this is a skill you need to learn. So we all have the capacity to be empathic. Mm -hmm. And it is the most important ingredient in our personal and professional lives. Sure. You know, Stephen Covey was asked once, what is, what is the most important ingredient for being successful in business? He said, I can tell you in one word, empathy. Mm -hmm. And the, the journalist said, why empathy? He said, because if you don't understand your clients, how do you even know what they want? I agree with that. How thoroughly. can you negotiate with them? Exactly. And again, when you're negotiating, 
you're creating a, a sense of security and trust. Mm -hmm. So you want to buy or do business with someone you trust, exactly. not someone you don't trust. Right. Exactly, and I agree with that. I owned a business for many years, and I was very successful at it. And it was, I worked with the Fortune 500 companies, and that I got to know my clients. I got, you know, I was able to understand their personality, even though it was about work and business. Yes. I was able to work with them on a smoother level because I took the time. Yes. But that comes completely a natural thing with me. Yes. That I was able to do that. And I watched other people who just struggled with that. Yes. You know, and, and, and that happens so much, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. <clears throat> You've, each person is different. Now, I just, like I said, devil's advocate here. I believe, and I wrote in my book, that people have, like, as you're growing up, they have made decisions in their life based on the knowledge they have at that time. Mm -hmm. So I believe there is really no wrong decision certain points of your life. As mm -hmm. you get older, you become wiser. So you look back and say, well, I should have done. And I hate the word should have. Yeah. Um, but when I say to people, they'll say, oh, I did this, I did that, and I'll go, but you didn't make a mistake. That was the knowledge you had yeah. at the time. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a lot? I find that people tend to be very critical of themselves in this culture. Yeah. I think the the degree of perfectionism has risen substantially. Mm -hmm. And I think people tend to have very negative self voices. Yes. So that they're always criticizing themselves for minor mistakes. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not, you know, uh, mortal sins. They're just minor mistakes. Right. And they, because their consciences are so severe, mm -hmm. they can't let it go. Right. But they have to learn that where did that come from? Why are you so hard on yourself? That's a learned, little children are not hard on themselves. No. Two-year-olds don't walk around saying, oh, I look terrible, I'm mm -hmm. not very smart. Um, they don't do that. They think they're wonderful until we give them a sense that they're not. Yeah. And that's where a lack of empathy in parenting happens. I like to tell people that, you know, we write a novel about ourselves early in life. Mm -hmm. It's a fictional account to a large degree about who we are. And that novel is based on the eyes that we're looking into. Mm -hmm. But if I'm looking into the eyes of people who have some distortions of their own, it's like looking in a circus mirror. It's a very distorted view of yourself. So we have to rewrite that story, make it a nonfiction story about ourselves as adults. I think that's our responsibility to ourselves and to the people close to us, is to rewrite the story. How can we do that? We have to get feedback from other empathic people, other people who will be able to tell us what they see in us mm -hmm. because they've come to know us and we trust them enough that we take in their in the information they're giving us. True, true. Um, I've always said, you know, when you're doing, when you're talking to people about yourself, if it's a dear friend, <clears throat> friend, and you're saying, okay, what do you see in me? I mean, that for me would be very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. That would be very difficult. How come? Because there's many layers. Yeah. Many, many layers. A lot of them you know already. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I, I don't feel I can be completely open and honest because if they know all the layers, judgment may come in. 
and then I'm going to become very defensive. Mm -hmm. What if they know all the layers and love comes in? That would be what, a rare. What would that do to your soul and your sense oh, of self? Oh, it would just. Right, yeah. I would know yeah. what to do. Yeah. You were sp speaking about my wife and I before, yeah. 37 years being married. I love her for who she is. We've all, I look different, she looks different. We're not yeah. little kids anymore. Right. But it, it's the heart that she has. That's mm -hmm. what attracted me to her in the first place. And she also was very attractive, but it's the way she interacts with people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And she brought me out of myself. And she accepts me for who I am. I can be temperamental. I can be too intense. I work too much. I'm too, you know, I'm very involved in what I do. Mm -hmm. Like she says, when, you know, people ask me, when am I going to retire? And she looks and says, he'll never retire because no. I, it's what I do. Okay. I want to be of help. I want to do, I want to have a meaningful mm -hmm. life. Exactly. Now, would you say, uh, what is your definition of love? I think love again is based on an empathic connection on the deepest level. There's image love. I talk about image love yes, in the book. Yes, you do. Which is, I look at you, you're pretty, you speak well, you're educated, and in, in, two, and in two dates, I love you, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's, right. you know, it's filled with all this fantasy, and you fill in all the spaces. Mm -hmm. That's not really in-depth love. In-depth right. love comes from knowing another human being. And I always try to tell people, slow down. Mm -hmm. When people go on Match.com, I say, don't, don't go out for an evening. Meet them for lunch. Yeah. 12 to 1, I, 1 to 2, and then I have an appointment at 2 o'clock. Yeah. You know, if you want to stay longer, okay, but don't, don't get into this thing where mm -hmm. you're falling in love overnight. Look, we all like to fall in love. Right. But when you really love the essence of another human being, mm -hmm. you are in love periodically, but it's intermittent. It's not all the time. True. And that's where the perfectionism comes mm -hmm. in. You know, I talk about performance addicts in yes. the book. Yes, and performance do. addicts drive people crazy because they're always comparing themselves to other people and who they're close to to other people. But why do they do that? Because they've come to learn that the way to gain love and respect is through image and appearance. That's what performance True. addiction is. It's the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. That's because they didn't get the love for who they are early in life. And when they achieved something, mm -hmm. they scored a touchdown on the football field or they got the, the, the singing role in, the, in a high school play mm -hmm. and they noticed that people are clapping. They said, oh, that's the way to feel good. A lot of celebrities, yeah. you know this. Oh, yes. Celebrities, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're so attached to the audience, yeah. but the audience doesn't know them. Someone will say to me, oh, you know, I went to that concert. She's such a great person. I say, well, why did you talk to her? Yeah. Uh, no, but you shouldn't. She sang for two and a half hours. I said, I understand that. She's got a great voice. How do you know she's a great person? No, she's married. She was on Good Morning America yesterday. But that's very but, superficial. But you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know nothing. But once you know nothing, it can be fun. It can be fun. Because you're not taking it seriously. Right. Right. You're not believing that you know that person's heart and soul. True love, mature love, lasting love, lasting intimacy comes with knowing the character of another human being. If I knew my mother was sick and you were my wife, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, we have to go to the hospital and it's two o'clock in, in the morning and she just had a heart attack and you said, I'm not getting up at two o'clock in the morning. I'd say, uh-oh, mm -hmm. I married the wrong woman. Yeah. This is not good. Okay? Exactly. I had a client, I did a consultation with this couple who came from California mm -hmm. to Massachusetts. And he was a CEO of a major company in California. Mm -hmm. and, the, and he got laid off. They, they cut, it was a long story, but he, he got laid off. She was his receptionist, okay? 
13 year difference in their, in their mm -hmm. ages, no children. So they came to me and I was sitting with them and I said, well, what is, you know, what's yeah. the issue? And she said, well, you know, I really loved Bob when we were in California. He used to stand up and do presentations and he could speak in front of 5,000 people. And now I come home and he's in sweatpants looking for a job on the, on the internet. So she was in love with the image. Yes. So I said, w but he's looking for a job. Yeah. Yeah, but I just don't feel the same. And I know it may sound superficial, but I just don't feel the same. And she didn't feel the same because she never loved him in the first place. Yeah. She loved the guy in the three-piece suit standing up, giving a PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. Is that who he is? <laughs> I see so much of that. I'm sure you have in that world, right? Uh -huh. Because you're getting a little glimpse yeah. and then you fill in the whole picture. Just like that early stage of falling in love. Right. You get a little glimpse and you fill in all. You know, when people tell you about somebody they met, uh, like I say, they, I say, well, what, what about, tell me about her. Oh, she's beautiful. She's bright. She's empathic. She's compassionate. And I say, you know, I've never met anybody like that. Could you introduce me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're all those things yeah. within five minutes. Yeah. I've never met anyone with all of those qualities like you've just said. I mean, she just sounds perfect. But haven't you found more so today people are visual and they they see surface, it triggers an emotion in them. Yes. And, and everything you just said is what they do. Uh, you know, oh my God, she's wonderful, he's great. Back and forth. But it's not love. No. Love is acceptance. Yes. On all levels. Yes. And, and there, I believe there's more and more of that today with the image. With all the technology we have today, uh, the selfie pictures, as everybody is taking selfies of themselves. I cringe. I yes. really do cringe. We are so focused on appearance. And look, we all want to look good. We want to mm -hmm. look lively and look like we have energy. That's fine. But when it becomes an obsession that that's going to bring us love and respect, which is what performance addiction is, mm -hmm. it, it's so depressing in the end because it never, ever works. It never works. It never works. You never get to know the person. You fall for more of an image than you fall for anything else. Yes. You know, and so this all circles back, I think, to stress, to people being difficult on themselves. I mean, how many times have I heard right now <clears throat> people will say, oh, I'm okay, but you know, the world is in such chaos right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it's really affecting them. Yes. I don't understand that because I look at it as there is nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I did what I could do when we went to the polls, we voted. Our world now is where it's at. <clears throat> I can't let it affect me. So I have a wall down because I have to go on with my life. Yes. And I watch these people literally go into a depression over things they can't do anything about. Yes. Do you see a lot of that? What do you think of that? I, I do see a lot of that. And obviously <laughs> since, you know, the presidential campaign yeah. and all the rhetoric and the insulting mm -hmm. and, and the greed and so forth, of course, it's very, it's very demeaning to our souls. It, yes. it doesn't make us feel good as human beings. And even people in this country are losing their faith in, in our country yes. and our, in our constitution. But, you know, people often say, are you a glass half empty or a glass half full? Mm -hmm. 
person. Mm -hmm. and, and to your point, I always say, look, the glass is always half empty and half full. Yeah. Where do you want to concentrate? Yeah. I would want to concentrate on this side. Yeah. For instance, I have more people talking to me about politics than ever in my life. I'm sure you Again, do. I've been in practice for 35 years. And I, I see it as an optimistic trend because more people are concerned. More people are following the news. More mm. people want to get involved. More people are marching. I'm, I'm not taking a side, one side no. or the other, no. but the fact that more people want to be aware. Yeah. We kind of fell asleep. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. We kind of fell asleep we and we kind of thought things would just be fine, mm -hmm. but they're not. And we have to get involved. Every time you hear somebody make a prejudicial comment, mm -hmm. every time you hear that hatred of another group, not based on anything but truth, mm -hmm. say something. Yeah. I was yeah. telling one of my friends yesterday, Richard Werner, who's my closest friend, one of the greatest guys in the world, uh, Jackie Mason. You remember oh, Jackie Mason? Oh, I remember Mason? Jackie Mason. This is one of my best, <clears throat> one of the best skits he ever did. He was doing a, 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 a little uh, you know, sitcom, mm -hmm. and it was in Manhattan. It was a B thing. It didn't yeah. work very well. And he'd come out on the deck, and this fella next to him would come out on this little deck of his apartment. And the guy in the next wouldn't, wouldn't talk to him because he was Jewish. So he came out one night and he says, what the heck is the matter with you? You don't like me because I'm Jewish. You don't even know me. You don't even know anything about me. Now my wife I've been married to for 40 years. She hates me. She's got a good reason to hate me. You hate me because I'm Jewish. You know nothing. You're stupid. She, on the other hand, knows everything about me. And she hates me, but she got a good reason to hate me. Right? That's very true. Right? right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That definitely. So when you hear it, when you see it, be part of the change. Don't yell at someone. Don't be overly aggressive. I had a client of mine. He's a CEO. Okay? Yeah. Very bright man and nice man. Okay? And, he, and the, on, outside my window of my office, there's a dog bark. And we were talking about athletes because once in his life he had met Jesse Owens. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, you know, dogs don't like black people. And I said, really? Um, how did you come to know that? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, there was a black family at the corner of our street. And my mom always said, don't take the dogs down there. Black dogs don't like black people. And I said, um, he's 56 years old. Yeah. I said to him, um, did you ever take the dogs down there? Yeah. And he said, no. And I said, have you ever been in the presence of a black person with a dog? He goes, no. And he goes, now you're making me feel foolish. I said, I'm not trying to make you no. feel foolish. I'm trying to point out that we all learn these things early in life mm -hmm. that have no basis in truth. I said, I have a, a, a black uncle, African-American uncle. We call him the dog whisperer. He trained our dogs. Dogs love him immediately. Yeah. It's not true. Right. It's not true. Right. He goes, oh, I get it. Now, he's a decent person because he yeah. said he wasn't trying to be. He didn't even think about it. He always just believed it. But he was programmed. Yes, yes. From little just on. Just like the guy next to Jackie <laughs> Mason in that yeah. sitcom. Right? He was Jewish people, don't yeah. talk to them, to this, to that. Not true. Not true. So be part of the change. But, but you know, I, I, I watch and I listen to these people, and they literally make themselves ill over what is happening. But the people that I have dealt with are not stepping up to the plate. They're not a voice. So they're, I believe they're very frustrated because they're not, but they don't know how to step out. And that's what I'm trying to teach in this book. Yeah. Expand your capacity for empathy. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, you can be part of the change. That's we great. all have it in us. Yeah. Slow down. 
one of the one of the most important parts of empathy is slow down. Mm -hmm. If you're talking rapidly, slow down. If you're making decisions quickly, slow down. Most of the time, you got a 50-50 chance of those quick decisions being right. Slow down, listen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Douglas Steer was a, a theologian who had the term, coined the term holy listening. Mm -hmm. Listening another person's soul into a position of disclosure and discovery. Mm -hmm. He said that's one of the most important things one human being can do for another. And again, that's empathy, giving and receiving empathy, making that positive brain change, mm -hmm. producing oxytocin, all those good chemicals in our system. Holy listening means that you, you, you are taking the time to understand. People come to me all the time and they say, oh, he won't talk to you, she won't talk to you. If you're really listening, yeah. people talk, right? People Human talk. beings love to talk about themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? They do. They can't resist it. So when they know you're truly curious and mm -hmm. you're truly listening, they'll talk. Exactly. Almost always. But I find that a comfort because then I don't have to talk about me. Yes. The and, uh, more I yeah, have yeah, to yeah. talk about you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I am interested, yeah. and I am learning a lot. I've been accused of the same. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's a statement in the Old Testament, beware of the helper. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we have to, you know, it's reciprocal, right? Yes. So if I'm telling you about me, at mm -hmm. some point, you got to join the conversation. And okay. when I join the conversation, normally it's going to be a very light, not superficial completely, but it'll be very little. Because of that <clears throat> safety piece? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But what happens when you develop trust with another person? Then I talk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then I talk. Yeah. And my but New York you're, but you're a up. listener. Yes. It's I am. very obvious. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of interviews. I'm mm -hmm. not complimenting myself. I just have. And, and nine times out of the ten, you can tell the person isn't listening. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you say, you know, really, Tony, 45 minutes? Uh, yeah, you, really. Why don't we, we just wrap it up? Right. <laughs> just be done just with it. Say the book, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. Because you know they're not, you know, they, yeah. it's great to meet you, but you know they, they have no interest in the subject and they have no interest in, in the other person. Exactly. And it's, it's boring. It's like, why are we doing this? I've yeah. seen that happen yeah. on yeah. a lot of shows. Yeah. I have two questions that I don't want to forget to ask you. Well, one is... I lived in Manhattan, 9-11 happened, all right. The most wonderful thing, and of course it was a horrible situation, it was a shock to the world when the towers went down. I lived in the West Village. So that, that was the view outside of my window, was the World Trade. Oh, wow. So of course, as I was getting ready to go out for the day, I saw the plane coming, and I'm thinking it's a movie. Because you know how we're conditioned. Yes. Wow, this is real. Boy, this is a movie. Wow, it did hit the building. It never registered right off. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, well, they're doing a movie early in the morning. Yes. All right. When I realized what happened, it was as if I came out of my body and I watched. And I was looking for where I could help. But I watched all of Manhattan change. All the cafes, West Village, where I lived, opened their doors to everyone. And you know, all the apartment buildings, you have a lot of single people, divorced people, everybody was coming out of their building to be together. The cafes were all free. 
people could eat, they could drink coffee, they could have a drink. Everything was free. But that moment I will never forget in my life where a major city literally came together as one. Yes. I mean, even talking about it. Yes. But also, I mean, I, where I had lived because, really became a war zone. Because they didn't know what was going to happen next. All yes. the tunnels and bridges are closed down. People are running into grocery stores, getting all the food they can. I go to the pet store to get my dog's food. And I go, ooh, I got to go for me too. You know, and just the whole two weeks at least, living in that environment, the village became so silent. New York had never been so quiet during that time. But yet, everybody wanted to help. Yes. All the hospitals were, were, were doctors were coming in to help. Um, body bags are being carried down the street. But that during that whole time, I'm sitting here going, okay, where can I help? What can I do? Now I have to watch to see where there is an opening that I can help. And that whole experience was amazing to me. I mean, this was a crisis. Yes. But yet, I think people who were right there changed. Everything changed. Yes. And I know now we're talking many years back, <clears throat> but yet it still affects those of us who've lived in that area during that time. Sure, sure. Now, have any people come to you? I'm sure they have about 9-11. Oh, yes, yes. And I had the same reaction. I, I have a home office and I was coming downstairs mm -hmm. and my wife was watching. She said, I, I think something happened in New York. And I looked at it and I said, oh, I don't know what I, I don't remember exactly what I mm -hmm. said, but it was sort of a denial, like that couldn't be. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized it was like devastating. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think maybe what you're talking about, maybe, is people became aware of the fragility of human life. Yes, exactly. And instead of being worried about this, you know, my, my little nail broke mm -hmm. or I got a little pain in my foot, mm -hmm. we're faced with mortality and the fragility of life. And then we connect. Yeah. So we went through this awful, stressful situation. Mm -hmm. And then when you connect, you change brain chemistry again. I called 9-11 empathy in action. Yes. People said, how horrible? I said, mm. yes, how horrible, but Look what the people of New York were doing. Look what the world was doing. Yeah. Look all the donations. Exactly. Look, why was it all flooding in? Right. Exactly. It, I, and I said it was empathy in action. A firefighter grabbing a person and jumping out of a window together. Yeah. It was empathy in action. It was a tremendous connection that came from one of the worst tragedies of all time. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And and that's exactly what happened. I love. I love the way you put that together because it is true. Everybody came together. Yes. And for what had happened, I mean, of course, it was on the news 24-7. I'm living in the middle of it going, I can't watch the news anymore because I'm seeing it out my window. So. You were so close. I shut down. I didn't shut down to what had happened. I shut down to the news because I was getting it firsthand right there. Yes. You know, and, and that really, really, I think, watching people at the cafes, watching people coming together, 
neighbors I never knew I had because, you know, in the, I mean, in New York now, they still do not know I moved. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. When I go back, oh, Tony, we're on different schedules. Yeah, we're on different schedules. No one knows I moved. But it was people coming out. Well, you made great. lasting friends. Oh, absolutely. So not, lasting friends don't forget each other. No. Right. No, absolutely not. Right. So with that being said, and, and you're talking about love and image, where do you see the love right there and the image with either life itself? Because that's one of the things you talk about. Love is image. Image is love. How, um, I mean, talked about love is acceptance, but there's so many different kinds of love with people, with the world. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that, that you have stressed in your book too, which is very important for people and changing the chemistry of that. Yes. And I mean, you also have self-care. So how does someone achieve self-care? Well, you know, I wrote a chapter on self-care, which includes nutrition and the latest mm -hmm. uh, information regarding exercise and so forth. Yeah. But I also wrote what makes us, I started with a story about what makes us resistant to mm -hmm. self-care. And that's how we talk to ourselves. Because if, you're, if you have a negative self-voice, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you're changing your mood. We live according to our mood. So if you get up first thing in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say, oh my God, am I getting old? Oh my God, I look ugly. Oh, oh my God, oh my God. And you turn on TV and everybody looks beautiful and you're having your cup of coffee or a cup of tea mm -hmm. and you're saying, you know what? I don't even feel like going to the gym. I'm gonna go back to bed. Okay. So within 15 minutes, mm -hmm. you ruined your day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. People ask me, well, how, how can you exercise every day? It must be easy for you. I say, it's never easy. I do not wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I can't wait to go work out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I condition my mind the night before, and I say, don't be a baby when you get up, and don't start moaning. Mm -hmm. Just get up because you owe it to your family, you owe it to mm -hmm. your clients, and you owe it to yourself because you're going you're gonna to cheat them if you don't take care of yourself. I always say self-care equals other care. If I don't take care of myself, if I got four hours sleep last night and I had three cups of coffee with three sugars in each one this morning, you and I wouldn't be having the same conversation. No, we wouldn't. Right? Absolutely not. So the way we talk to ourselves has a lot to do with how we care about ourselves. We all have a record inside ourselves that was developed very early in life, mm -hmm. that novel that we wrote very early. When you drop the needle on the album, and I'll use album because we're of that age, you know. Yes. So... Instead of playing all 26 songs, you know, you know you're, you got to kind of step outside yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not pretty, I'm ugly, I'm old, I'm not smart. Lift the needle up. Instead yeah. of playing all 26 songs, get up and move. Mm -hmm. Get up and move. Get some blood flow to your brain. It starts to change your outlook. But you have to plan it the day before, the night before. But most importantly, catching that voice inside yourself. It can ruin your life. It can make your life. Mm -hmm. And we all know if we stop and think about it, we could write down, which is why I encourage people to journal in this book and write down. I'm trying to get at that self-voice yeah. throughout the book. You will, at, by the time that you, you finish this book, you will, you will know all the, all the records you've recorded in your mind that are negative. Therefore, when you hear them, you can sort of intercede 
instead of letting it just play out and have a life of its own, mm -hmm. don't let it have a life of its own. But you have to know what it is first. People True. say, I'm just that way. I said, no, no, no. No, no. You weren't born that saying, I'm ugly. Yeah. No baby comes out of their mother's womb mm -hmm. saying, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, and I'm not smart. Right. Nobody does that. You learned it. Mm -hmm. Anything you learn can be unlearned. Anything that's learned can be unlearned. That's not true. easily, but it can be unlearned. If, if the person wants to unlearn it. Yes, yes. And sometimes I've seen in a lot of my friends, it's too much work. It's too much work. And when people say that to me, I say, you know what? It's more work to keep repeating the negative mm -hmm. things you say to yourself every day than making the change. Exactly. If you think that's less work, you're really fooling yourself. But don't they find a comfort level in that? Well, it's familiar and it's not change. Yeah. All change makes us a little anxious. Yeah. You know? So, yes, we, we orient ourselves to what's familiar. But what's familiar can be devastating in terms of our sense of self. Mm -hmm. Because the outcome is always the same. Yes, yes. And they hope to have a different outcome, but they're never going to have a different outcome. Yes. But to your point, in terms of the familiarity, you know where you're going every day. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I'm going to stay home and put and put the covers over my head and hide, mm -hmm. either in my bed or in the world. Mm -hmm. But and then you feel like you're 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 not real. Right. You know, I have a chapter on authenticity because authenticity releases that burden yeah. that I have to pretend to be anything but me. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we're getting short on time here. This has been great. I love, I love I really appreciate interacting with you. You've been wonderful. Well, you're such a good listener and you're so insightful. Thank you really you. are. Thank you. You're taking that in? It's life experience <laughs> yes, that made us that yes, way. Yes. And you know that. Yes, yes. But I do want to show the audience, you have to buy this book. Absolutely. Arthur talked about what is in this book. You know, I mean, it's, it's learning new habits. It's learning to accept yourself. It's learning to treasure yourself, which is really, really important. You know, I've always said people can be so much more than what they are if they want to. And I do stress that people do not have to have a lot of money. All they have to do is have a passion, a willpower. No matter where you are, if you live in a ghetto, if you live on the streets, there is a way. There are people who want to help you. Yes. And this book, this book here will give you a start. Now, where can they purchase your book? Well, they can go to Amazon, uh, okay. Barnes & Noble, online. Um, my website is balanceyoursuccess.com. They can go there and order it as well. Okay. So it's available on all the Internet sites. I strongly suggest if you do anything else, buy this book, read it over. And all this information will be at the end of the show, of course. But this is, I mean, you've written many books. Give us a few names. So. Well, The Power of Empathy was, was yeah. one of my favorites, obviously. But that's and, very important. Yeah. And Performance Addiction was another. Mm -hmm. The Curse of the Capable was another. Because uh, we talk about people whose resumes read very well, but inside are suffering and not very happy. Exactly. Exactly. So all of these books, I mean, can be true help to you and if people want to contact you they can as well sure if they go to the website balanceyoursuccess.com uh, okay. you can send me an email or reach me that way i think that's great because you're out there i mean you're willing to help yes yes i am 
So I look at you, and I see that compassion in you. I see that love in you, and your whole life, even your background, with your father helping. And look at you today. You're an amazing man. Oh, thank you very much. You're you very are kind. amazing. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you, and I respect you. Well, <laughs> don't turn red. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean it. So I know that, you do. On that note, we have to close our show. Write in, subscribe. All the info is in the show notes. Thank you for listening.